So it's the uh, first long weekend of the summer season. Yes, uh, gotta love summer in Fort McMurray, and glad a few of you are still in Fort McMurray celebrating Queen Victoria. You know that's what you're celebrating, right? <clears throat> yeah, we celebrate Queen Victoria, who died almost 120 years ago uh, on May 24th. But not just any queen, but the one who was queen when Canada became a country in 1867. She signed Canada into existence, and she chose the city of Ottawa to be her capital, so have a great Queen Victoria Day tomorrow, okay? And yeah, and I get to uh, finish up this message series. We're in this together. For me personally, it's been uh, so awesome to let Lucas preach for three weeks in a row, and, and, uh, and he does good, right? At least I hope you think he's as good as I think he is. Or maybe a, a better way of putting it would be to say that Lucas is someone God chooses to use through preaching, and it's good. This allowed me uh, three weeks ago to go out and to play with uh, handguns. I took the Black Badge pistol course and another course, and I know that's politically controversial in Canada, except to see that the shooting sports, including handguns and three-gun, are enjoying incredible growth in Canada. More and more Canadians are taking up the shooting sports, and that's definitely true here in Fort McMurray. We have an amazing range to the south of us with lots of options and training and competition. And I saw a new sport on the news yesterday. It's in Hamilton where they are doing uh, riding on horses and shooting at the same time. So if any of you need something a little more extravagant, uh, that's apparently about to take off in Canada. And hey, you got to love this sign at Mac Island, okay? Where else in Canada would you have a sign telling you to take your guns through the back door rather than through the center of a recreational complex? But no worries, we would be lugging guns in and out of that complex only in Fort McMurray. Now, Lucas had another motive for getting me out of the pulpit for three weeks, and there's a bit of a story here. Lucas has been on staff full-time uh, as our pastor of team development, having coming to us from being a, a Suncor firefighter, and he has a desire to become an ordained pastor. You know, get that reverent put in front of his name. You know, Reverend Lucas, or maybe with the word reverent, you say Reverend Welsh. In fact, maybe we need to practice that for him. Can you say Reverend Welsh? Let's do it together. Reverend Welsh. Oh, you're not sounding very convinced. Reverend Welsh, yes. But anyways, he's got a long time to go before you can say that, but I thought we'd get started now. Uh, most of you know that Lucas is a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, and in our denominational manual of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, we have a native ordination track. So I thought, well, that would be awesome for Lucas. And so I inquired about what that track looks like with our district office, and they checked with who they have to check with, and they came back and told me, yeah, it's in the manual. We see it there. But no one knows what the track looks like. We don't know anyone who's ever been ordained through the native ordination track. Um, so then they said, so if you want to put Lucas through that track, then you need to create it. Hey, you used to teach at a seminary level. You coordinated the Master of Divinity program for Briarcrest College and Seminary for a year. You, you know what pastoral training should look like, so why don't you create the track for us and we'll look at it and consider it and let you know if we like it or not. And they gave me only one guideline, that it needs to be rigorous and comprehensive like a normal three-year Bible college or seminary degree, but without the degree. So I was able to spend some time and create a 12-modular native ordination program that I have submitted for discussion, revision, and hopefully, ultimately, approval. Our district coach, as well as our district superintendent in Calgary, have to sign off on it, as does the denominational president in Toronto, as well as the chairperson of the First Nations Association of Alliance Churches, probably several other guys who I know nothing about. 
I've already had some feedback on it, sent back a revision. The approval process is just complicated, maybe a bit political, so I've asked the prayer team to be praying about it. And then when it's approved, you'll have to pray for Adrian because the workload that Lucas will get into will be significant. You can pray for Lucas too, but I know he's totally capable. The program itself could take maybe five years to complete. It's fairly rigorous, so Lucas took the pulpit for me so that I could make his life more difficult. It's awesome. But today, we're continuing in this, we're in this together series on family and parenting, and it's that children's book written by Rick Warren of the Lord's Prayer that uh, inspired the message, uh, as well as next week's message. So you know it's not going to be too complex of a message if a kid's book is the inspiration, But yes, I am grabbing some stuff from Rick Warren for this message. Oh, and I've ordered copies of this book for those of you who might be interested. They just haven't arrived yet, so I'll let you know when they do. Now, before I leap into where I want to go, let me talk to those of you who are saying, wow, wow, you can just, I can just check out of this message, right? Because I don't have kids and I don't intend on having kids or or, or my kids are all grown. For you, those of you who your kids are all grown, here's a truth that you need to grab onto. You you could be 90. Okay, I don't think we have any 90-year-olds here that I'm aware of, but when you get to 90 and your kids are 70, they are still your kids, and you are still their parents. Sure, the nature of the relationship has changed, but for the rest of your life, you're, you're still a parent. And the type of stuff that I want to talk about today will always apply to you as a parent. On the other hand, if you don't ever intend to have kids or whatever, you still need children in your life. We are all called by God as a community to raise kids together. God's plan is not just that the parents, but the church family raises kids together. You are better for it, really, when you get involved in the lives of kids. I mean, kids are really our way to teach us all unselfishness. What I want us all to understand is that whether you're a mother or father or you're simply an adult friend, you need kids in your life. You you need to maybe uh, get involved in children's ministry or our youth ministry or maybe our high school youth lunch program. These are all incredible opportunities for you to be an influence for the good and for Jesus in the life of our youth. And, And... just talking about parenting, I came across this study of uh, at-risk kids in, in New York and Washington, D.C. that looks at what factors help inner-city kids stay on the right path or not. The study discovered that the difference between whether a kid makes it in life or, or doesn't make it is the presence of a single adult that cares for them. A caring adult makes all the difference in a child's life. And, and what they discovered is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent A parent is better, but it doesn't have to be a parent. It just needs to be a caring adult in that person's life. And and you can be that parent, that adult, that that mentor, uh, uh, that big brother, that big sister or whatever. And and, and you can do that in multiple ways here at Fort City. So wherever you're at, there's going to be something here for you to hang on to that will be helpful for your life and, and in your mission to help kids become who God wants them to be. Now, I've got to make one more comment about what you often hear these days when it comes to raising kids and introducing them to the Christian faith and to Jesus personally. Over and over, I run into uh, people, uh, parents who say, I- I'm not going to force uh, my religion on my kids. I- I- I'm not going to teach them about God. I- I'm not going to force them to go to church. I- I'm just going to let them find their own way, their own path. My thoughts on that? Well, that's one 
a colossal case of parental malpractice, in my opinion. I have stronger words that come to mind, but parental malpractice kind of says it. Because leading your kids to understand the Christian faith and to know and experience Jesus personally for themselves is the most important thing you could ever do for a child. Most important thing by far. And I don't think Christ-following parents always get this. But you got to understand that it's more important that your kids know God and that they succeed in then they succeed in some sort of career. I mean, getting a good job, uh, being able to provide is, sure, it's important. Real important, just, just not as important. It's more important than they know God, than they be popular. It's more important that they know God than they know how to handle a hockey stick or hit a baseball because none of that stuff is going to last. Friends, God did not create your child to simply go to school, <clears throat> get a job, retire and die. God created your child, and God created you to know him. If you miss that, you, you miss the whole purpose of your life and their lives. If you miss that, that's parental malpractice. So if you as a parent work at anything with your kids, work at giving your kids a strong spiritual foundation. Hey, so many of us, we, we have them signed up for every sport, got them going to the gym or mixed martial arts, uh, which is all good. Uh, some of you are working hard to uh, get them to learn a trade or go to college or university, and these things are all good. But the most important thing that you can do for your kids is get them to know the life-changing love of Jesus in a deeply personal way. You want your kids not just to know about Jesus, but to actually experience Jesus, pray to Jesus, hear Jesus speak to them. You want your kids to grow up knowing how to walk in the Spirit day by day by day, knowing the guiding hand of Jesus for themselves. And by the way, when you teach your kids, you're not just impacting your kids, you're impacting future generations. What you do with your kids now, it transcends generations. I mean, it's really that powerful. Asaph, he's a, a writer of some of the Psalms, and in Psalm 78, he says this about teaching our kids about God and his ways. God instructed our ancestors to teach his laws to their children so that the next generation might learn them and in turn should tell their children. And, and when you teach your children about God, how to know God, how to experience him personally, how to live according to his ways, your impact is felt for generations to come. I mean, notice in that verse there, there are four generations. The ancestors who teach their children, who teach their children who haven't been born yet, who teach their children who haven't been born yet, that's four generations. What, what Asaph is saying is incredible when you take the time to think about it. You can actually influence people who are not even alive yet by what you do and by what you teach. You can not only bless your life, your family's life, your kid's life, but you can bless your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren who a hundred years from now will be enjoying the blessings because of your godly life. I mean, that's awesome. One of the things that's part of my ancestry is generation of ancestors who were passionate about their faith, whether it was faith rooted in Catholic, Methodist, or Presbyterian churches. For generations, that faith was passed down from generation to generation. On the Doyle side of my family, a brother and a sister of my grandmother became passionate followers of Jesus at the time the Pentecostal church came into being in the 1920s. 
They prayed that God would raise up ministers and pastors in the family, and both my uncle and myself are answers to that prayer. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, I know some of you will say to me, but Doug, my parents didn't believe. They weren't Christians, much less my grandparents or great-grandparents. Hey, all that means is that it's time for you to start the chain. You start it. You, right now, get it going. You, you say, this family, my family, from this day forward, is going to be a God-loving family. I, I'm just going to make sure that my kids, my grandkids, and my great-grandkids are blessed because I choose to walk with God. And that's your choice. And it's the coolest thing that you can do. You can leave this awesome legacy. And, and part of what we want to do this week and next week is to help you leave that legacy. Because far more important than your sports and hobbies, and we all have them, and you know that I have them, far more important than your financial success, and that's why many of you chose to live here in Fort McMurray, far more important than all of this will be the family that you leave behind. And you can leave behind a multi-generational blessing. So to get us going in this direction, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and there are eight truths in the Lord's Prayer that we can be teaching our children. We're going to look at three of them today and five of them next week. And these eight truths, I mean, you don't ever stop teaching them, talking about them. These are truths every child must learn whether the child is five or 50. Now, what I want you to get this week and next week is that the Lord's Prayer is not just a prayer to be prayed. Really, it's kind of a template for life. It's a lifestyle to be lived. And what you find in the Lord's Prayer are God's solution to some of the greatest emotional problems kids have growing up today. I mean, we live in an age where we've never seen so many emotional and mental issues emerging in our kids. I'm not sure. I mean, you see that, right? The suicide rate among even kids has never been higher. And do you know that in many Christian children's camps across the country right now, camps are now employing a trained counselor, someone like uh, Natalie Mansfeld, to work with the staff because young high school and college-age staff come with so many hurts and hang-ups and emotional issues and mental health issues. The role of counseling in schools, where Natalie serves as a counselor, is more important than ever, and, and not just high schools, it goes right into grade school. What I want you to understand is that many of the answers... Many of the solutions to the issues our kids face can be found in the Lord's Prayer. Teach our kids the Lord's Prayer and what the Lord's Prayer means in their lives, and you're giving your kids one solid foundation for life. I cannot overstate this. The Lord's Prayer, prayed rightly and rightly understood and rightly lived out, is the key to emotional and spiritual health and stability. And more than ever, our kids need this kind of foundation today. So let me give you three this week and five next week. The first truth that the Lord's Prayer teaches is this. Number one, God wants an intimate relationship with me. Hear me on this. Our God wants. He desires. He delights. He created me for an intimate relationship. You see this in the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Now this, it's really radical. Now, you might not get that because the Lord's Prayer is so familiar. It, it, it sounds so normal to us, but it, it sounded anything but normal to the disciples Jesus first taught this to. At the time of Jesus, I mean, Jewish boys and girls were taught to see God as all-powerful, as someone to be feared, as the awesome creator that he is. But they never used words of intimacy like Father to describe God, let alone talk to God like we do today because 
He is our Father. Friends, we are to pray our Father. This is all about a loving, intimate relationship. And what does that relationship look like? Well, caring, close, powerful on my behalf, consistent on my behalf. He's my Father. He's our Father. That's the kind of Father God He is. Now, when I look at dads in Fort McMurray, I do see a lot of dads working real hard at being good dads. I think it's one of my biases, but I I, I have reasons for this. I think this city is probably a lot healthier place than many when it comes to fathering. We just got a lot of great fathers in this city, and and this uh, this is good for teaching kids about God. I'm a bit of a statistics nerd, and so let me throw in some stats out there about single-parent families and dads and families without dads in particular here in Canada because dads play such or can play such a critical role in helping them understand that God loves them as a father. A kid's understanding of God as father is so often filtered through the love of the human dad. Now in Canada, the stats are, 20% of homes in Canada with kids 16 and under are single-parent homes. And 80% of the single-parent homes in Canada are single-mom homes, right? Um, Only 20% of homes are single-dad homes in in Canada. But in Fort McMurray, the stats are a little different. It's not 20%. Only 14% of the homes with kids 16 and under are single-parent homes. So we have much less single-parent homes here than we do in the rest of the country. And in Fort McMurray, and this is a fascinating stat, um, instead of 80% of the homes being uh, single-mom homes, in in Fort McMurray, only 65% of the homes are uh, single-mom homes. It means that 35%, over one-third of the homes in Fort McMurray that are single-parent homes, are actually single-dad homes. And and that's, that's just a massive difference from the rest of Canada. And then when you compare that to the rest of North America, to the U.S., it's just staggeringly different. It appears that in Fort McMurray, dads fight harder to keep kids when a marriage breaks up. Dads in Fort McMurray are quicker to step up and say, I got this. And it's just dramatically different than the rest of Canada. Single dads or married dads, there is a sense that in Fort McMurray, dads are more invested in the role as dads than is typical across the country. And I think this is huge, and it's one of the things that I just love about this country. Because if dads can rise and understand their responsibility in helping their kids understand the love of our Father in Heaven, the impact that this can have on a child's life is huge. Yes, moms do this as well, and moms generally nurture and invest much more into the lives of their kids than dads do. But dads are uniquely in the position to help a child understand the intimate love of a father. So dads, that's a key thing that you teach. Now, most of you know the research, and you heard me already say that ultimately it only takes one loving adult to at least help a kid make it in life. The power of two, the research says, and the power of a father and not just a mother, the complementary power of a mother and father together is incredible. And and, uh, it creates stability. And one of the major emotional issues that kids grow up with is insecurity. And insecurity is a growing epidemic in our North American culture, and it's growing just as the number of single-parent homes are growing. Kids feel insecure. They, They need boundaries in their life to feel secure. They need loving parents who provide boundaries to feel secure. 
Insecurity and low self-worth go hand in hand. And the best way a, a parent can help a kid grow into a healthy adult is not only to personally be a source of security and self-worth for the kids, but to introduce them to their Heavenly Father, who is consistent, close, and really powerful. And when you model this and teach this to your children as early as possible, then they learn to understand the God of the universe created me. And he created the entire universe because he loves me and wanted me alive. I mean, how awesome is it to understand that? When a kid understands that God created him or her because he loves them and wants them and has a purpose for their lives, that's how you build security and self-worth. That the God of the universe loves me personally, unconditionally. That he will never, ever stop loving me. And that lets a kid grow up with a bit of attitude. A bit of good attitude. I like me. God likes me. And if you don't like me, what's your problem? Attitude. Awesome attitude. But the reality out there is there are very few kids that have that kind of confidence. Why? Because they've not been taught that God is their Heavenly Father. That God is for them. We need to teach our kids what the Apostle Paul teaches. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? If your child truly understands that, man, that's a game changer. I mean, your kid can excel at at sports, but doesn't have to be the best to have self-worth. Your kid can bring home A's or C's. It just doesn't change his value to God, to our Father. And, And that's true for you, too. Work as hard as you can. Work to the best of your ability wherever you're employed. Do a good job. But that's not where your self-worth will ultimately be found. It's found in our Father. Our Father who is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? When God becomes your Father and you become his child, issues of security and self-worth are settled. You matter. And you're terrific. So you just got to embrace this truth personally and then help your kids learn this so that they can embrace this for themselves. This is just so powerful. Our Father in heaven. Okay. A second thing that we have to teach our children is, number two, God's name deserves my honor. Well, what's in a name? Well, for God, a name represents his person. It's who he is. His name represents his character. Today, we, we, we name our kids names that sound nice, right? When my parents named me, they just wanted a common male name that nobody could make fun of. My, my parents didn't care what my name meant, just no one could take my name and turn it into something nasty. That was their guiding principle. Although they did go for a middle name that was related to family. My middle name is Daryl after my uncle Daryl. My brother's middle name is Robert, Kenneth Robert Doyle, and he was named after my grandfather on my mother's side. That way they had connection to uh, both sides of the family, you know, keep it all evened out there. But my parents didn't give me the middle name of my grandfather because his name was Leslie. And my parents were worried that the name Leslie was also a girl's name, and they didn't want any confusion or anyone making fun of me and telling me that I had a girl's name. And I say that with due apologies if there's any guy here with the name Leslie. That's just my family's ism, okay? So, sorry. However, in the Bible, names meant something. It represented your character. 
And in the Bible, God has many names in Hebrew. Each one of God's names represents a benefit to your life. Each one of God's names is an answer to a need in your life. I've preached on the names of God before. It's fascinating. And I think a great thing for a family to do would be to teach your kids the names of God and what these names mean and how each name is important for a need in your kid's life, uh, in your kids, in all of our lives, really. Like one of God's names is Jehovah Shalom, which means God is my peace. God will give me peace when I'm stressed out. I mean, that's a pretty awesome truth, right? Imagine if our teens actually understood that. Another is Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. He'll take care of me and my needs when I can't see where they're going to come from. Another one is God is my forgiver. And there is uh, Jehovah Sidkenu. God is my righteousness. He's going to make a way for me to spend eternity with him. Not because I'm good enough, but because he's good enough. The more you know the names of God, the, the more you're going to know the character of God. So teach these names to your kids. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means you recognize that God is able to meet your deepest needs because every one of his names will meet a need in your life. You recognize that God is greater than your problem. And hey, that's why in the Big Ten, you know, the Ten Commandments, along with commandments like don't murder, don't commit adultery, there is this commandment that we just don't take seriously enough today. It's the command, don't take God's name in vain. Instead, we're to honor God's name. In God's name is his character, his attributes that meet your needs, that meet needs of your kids. So teach your kids to revere the name of God, not just to use God's name in vain. Instead of a simple, oh my God, it ought to be, oh my God, hallelujah, right? And uh, yeah, you honor the name of God. You, you worship using his name. Okay, third thing that the prayer teaches us is that God's purpose for me uh, is part of a much bigger plan. Hey, your child might not learn this until they're 65, but much better to learn it at 16, right? That there is a purpose for my life that is part of a larger plan. We see this where Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, most kids, I get that they don't act like this, okay? But, but most kids, even though they don't act like this, they get that they're not the center of the universe and they just know this instinctively. They even know instinctively that they're not the center of the family, that they're part of the family, but they are not the center of your family. Now, if little Miss Princess gets her way all the time, you are raising an insecure child. They know instinctively that there should be boundaries. I mean, as kids grow up, they're going to push against those boundaries. But when you say, sorry, we're just not going there. No matter how much they push back, your solid boundary creates security. It's, it's stabilizing. It's, it's, uh, it's de-stressing. We all know that in this world that we live in, it's not all about us. It's not about you and me, right? You know that. But until a kid learns that, that kid is going to be self-centered and doomed to unhappiness. Because the world does not exist exclusively for your child. And if you treat them like it does, you are setting them up for great disappointment. God's plan for your child is part of a much bigger plan. History is actually his story. We have a God-given role to play in that story. It's awesome that we get to play a part in what God is doing in this world. Your child needs to know he or she is a part of God's story. Why? 
Because God's purpose, your kingdom come, your will be done, is the answer to the big questions of life. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Does life have meaning? Is there significance to life? What is my purpose? These are questions that only God can answer. Our schools can't answer them. The government can't answer them. Nobody can answer them except God. When you teach this third part of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, first, you're teaching that God has a master purpose for the world, your kingdom come. And secondly, that God has a personal purpose for your life, your will be done. A personal plan. Make sense? God has a plan for each of our lives that is part of his big plan for the world. Our kids need to be taught this from the earliest of ages. So we'll leave it there. Three things we need to teach our kids about God from the Lord's Prayer. One, God wants an intimate relationship with me, our Father. Two, God's name deserves my honor. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And thirdly, God's purpose for me is part of a larger plan. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you're beginning to see how powerful the Lord's Prayer really is and why teaching the Lord's Prayer and and what it means just might be the most powerful thing that you can do with your kids. Say the Lord's Prayer with your kids often, maybe daily, and talk about what each of those phrases means for them and how they can live this prayer out day by day by day, that God is for them, that he deserves our honor, and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives to make a difference in this world. Teach this to your kids, and it will totally change their lives for the better right now and forever. Embrace these truths yourself, and it will totally change your life now and forever. Friends, the Lord's Prayer is just powerful. Let's embrace this prayer personally. And as we experience the truths of this prayer, let's pass these truths on to our kids and help them to experience our Father personally in their lives. That's ultimately our call as parents. That's ultimately our call as a church. So let's close by praying the Lord's Prayer together, and and then I'll pray. We'll pray using the old traditional words that uh, some of you who are older learned in school. This is from the 1928 edition of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Would you stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together? All right. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated, and I'll continue to pray. Father God, would you just come and help each of us to understand and to apply and to actually experience these truths from the Lord's Prayer in our lives so that we can pass these truths, these experiences to our kids that they would just know you powerfully, personally, experientially. Holy Spirit, would you draw us by a work of your Spirit into a deeper, more intimate relationship with our Father as we lead our children to know you personally and intimately. And then, God, may we respect and honor your name as we teach our kids the power of your name and may our kids experience the power of your name. 
And, and may we ourselves embrace your plan for our lives that uh, are a part of what you're doing in our city and world and help our kids to see that they have a role to play in making a difference for our great God and what he's doing in our world. May we be a people who live out the truths of the Lord's Prayer day by day by day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.